Now, if you're new here, we just take a portion of our worship service um, to, to delight in God's Word. And in this teaching portion of our worship service, we are walking through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at a very, very important and timely passage, um, which I'll reference in just a moment. But the title of our message today is Temptation and the Provisions of God's Escape. Say that with me. Temptation and the Provisions of God's Escape. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that through the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son and our elder brother, we can call you Father. Thank you for gathering us here again this morning. Thank you that we begin the week together with you. Thank you for the word in song where we've just delighted and relished in singing of your great and amazing love. And now, Lord, we, our, our ears are open and our hearts are open, Lord, because you've opened them to take in your truth. There are so many voices in our world today. We want to hear your voice. So, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church said, amen, amen, amen. Lead us not into temptation. Why would we need to pray that? Lead us not into temptation. What kind of a heavenly father would lead us into temptation? Have you ever wondered that? James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's true. But then you look at Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, and you read these words. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So, so God does not tempt us. That is, he does not plant seeds in our hearts. And yet, Scripture says he does bring us into the presence of many tests and temptations in order to mature us and toughen us and temper us and sift us 
Remember what Jesus said to Peter the night before his crucifixion. Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Mm. All of this under God's sovereign watch. And it is under his sovereign watch. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 24 says, A man's steps are from the Lord. So every step you take is from the Lord. Every step, you could say that every step we take is a step into the presence of temptation. That's what Job concluded in Job chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. What is man that you visit him every morning and test him every moment? So there's no moment of your life that is not a moment of temptation, a a moment when unbelief and disobedience are not a possibility. So, So what are we to make of this very important verse in the Lord's Prayer, which we pray every week. We need to think about what we're praying And it's simply this, that that when we pray, lead us not into temptation. We are praying, Lord, please let us not be taken in by temptation. Today, I will stand before innumerable temptations. And that's what life is, is it not? The endless choice between belief and unbelief, obedience and disobedience. But almighty God, our Father, keep me from yielding. Hold me back from stepping into temptation. Put distance between my inclinations and my temptations. Amen? Now, I think this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. Paul wants us to consider temptation and the provision of God's escape. Temptation and the provisions of God's escape. Here's the word of the Lord. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is God's word. So the Apostle Paul wants us to think wisely and sensibly about temptation. He says in verse 15, I speak as to sensible people. I want you to think prudently about this matter of temptation. And as we do, here's what we'll see. Here's the big idea that Paul is laying on us here this morning. It's simply this. In our temptation, our 
our God's devoted provision prevents our destruction. You see it? In our temptation, our God's devoted provision prevents our destruction. So there's going to be temptation. And when there's temptation, we should count on and anticipate God's devoted provision. And it's that provision that's going to keep us from destruction. That's Paul's big idea here. You, you, You see... Paul says, I want you to really, I want you to think sensibly about this. Here's why this matters, church. If we fail to see what God is doing in temptation, that will lead to misinterpretation of his intention for us. We may assume that God is upset with us or angry with us or indifferent to us. We we just may think he's cruel. Not so. In temptation, God is neither distant nor passive. He's present and active. And in these verses, Paul tells us who God is, what God can do, and what he desires for us. And here is what we'll see. This is beautiful. Listen, every temptation is an invitation to trust Christ. Every temptation is an invitation to trust Christ. Every time you're tempted to disobey Christ, see the temptation as an invitation to trust him because we cannot defeat temptation by ourselves. We need help. Jesus is help. Jesus wants to help. The question is, will we avail ourselves to the help Jesus is offering? Well, Well, these verses answer three questions I'd like for us to consider this morning. And the the first is this. um, What's Paul's understanding of temptation? What is temptation? Let's define the term. Let's, Let's understand what is happening in temptation. That's the first question. The second question is, let's go to God. What's he doing? What's his intention? All right. And then the third question is, it deals with us. What does God want from us in temptation. What is temptation? What is God doing in temptation? And then what does God want for us in temptation? Question number one, definition. What is temptation? Well, let's just look at the three words that Paul references here in these verses. And they're the words temptation, see it? Overtake, see it? And then common to man. Or common to humanity. All right? Temptation. Temptation. Temptation uh, has two meanings. And the first meaning is, uh, and it depends on the context. So it's the same word, same word, uh, but it has a different meaning depending on how the word is used. All right? So the first meaning is to test or to determine the quality or character of something. So if you want to find out what something is made of, you test it. That, that use of the word actually appears in 1 Corinthians 10, 9. And it's actually a no-no. We must not put Christ to the test. <laughs> so it's not uh, up to us to determine the that Jesus, he's already determined who he is by his death, burial, and resurrection. 
So, but the word can mean to test, to test the quality or character of something. So, if God wants to determine the quality of our faith, he will allow us to experience trials so that the the stuff of our faith can come through. That's the first meaning. The second meaning is to entice or to bait or to induce you to do evil. Now, God will allow us to be tested, but as we read in James 1 earlier, he will never entice us to do evil because that's not in his character. James 1.13, again, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So the first definition is about the attempt to learn your character, and the second definition is an attempt to take you prisoner. And that leads us to the second word, temptation and then overtake. Um, I don't know why the English Standard Version uses the word overtaking you. It's simply the word to take. Uh, Temptation has one mission, and that is to take you, to imprison you. Isn't that how we feel when temptation strikes? We feel snatched. We feel imprisoned and we, we, we feel caught and we need liberation. Jesus said of Satan in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is the mission of temptation, to steal your joy, kill your faith, and destroy your hope. To make you think that you're beyond redemption. You're just a hypocrite. You always have been. You always will be. You're a hopeless case. You, you, you. You, 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 you shot off at the mouth, you cheated on your spouse, you acted dishonorably in your youth, you stole time or money or supplies from your employer. You're forever defined by your offense. Temptation wants to take us in and hold us prisoner. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul recounts the history of Israel And there were three temptations that took Israel of old. And they were the temptations or the sins of grumbling. Grumbling over their lack of provisions. uh, Sexual immorality in violation of God's word. And idolatry. Idolatry is whatever you look to to be your God other than God. Now, those aren't new, are they? And that leads us to this third word, common to man. You see that? No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. Again, literally, it's the word human. No temptation has taken you except what is human. In other words, there are no novel temptations. Uh, Satan's never had an original thought in his life. He's not original. He takes God's originality and twists it to his evil intents. And so whatever temptation that you've experienced, Scripture says others have as well. And and it's, it's the everyday stuff, right? Common to man. In 1 Corinthians 10, it's a piece of meat at a meal. That's what it is. Uh, 
The Corinthians weren't being tempted to test God by leaping off a tall building into the arms of angels. We often think that temptation, you know, likes to hack its way through the front door with an axe, announcing itself like creepy Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Here's Johnny! That's not the way temptation works. Temptation uses the back door. Temptation sneaks in through the bedroom window. Temptation relies on subtlety and nuance, deception and surprise, ignorance and naivety. (laughs) Satan's a sneak. Satan is a slithering snake and he asks questions to induce doubt about the goodness of God. Do you know what his first words in scripture were? You know what they are? Did God actually say? First words out of Satan's mouth. You see, temptation is the lure of an alternate reality. Temptation is the fantasy of a fictional realm that puts you on the throne of heaven and earth. It's the fiction that your desires are more reliable than God's word. It's the mythical realm where your feelings, your preferences, and your expectations are sovereign. And if you don't get what you want as the Israelites, then you have the right to complain because you've got desires that must be met regardless of who suffers. It's it's an alternate reality. That's what temptation is. It is the enticement of an alternate reality. Did God actually say is Satan's portal to an alternate reality? When Cain was gripped by the temptation to kill his brother, what was that? That was that was the custody of an alternate reality. God, you ought to be grateful for my gifts to you. When King David sent his army to war while he stayed home, he concocted an alternate reality rendering him the right to violate the privacy of a married woman by gazing at her while she was bathing. And then he leveraged his royal power to rape her. An alternate reality. That's how heroes of old became fallen heroes. And it's how we fall. All temptation is the fantasy of an alternate reality that offers you the crown. You're you're at a hotel with your family, and you've had a great weekend, and you go to the front desk to pay your bill, and you start talking to the uh, clerk there on the other side of the desk, and, and they're the opposite sex, and, and, you, and you start paying attention to that person, and, and you don't even realize you're paying attention to that person, but you're just in conversation, and then finally... Your child tugs you at your sleeve. Dad, look at me, and you snap out of it. And they, now, now you, you didn't think a dirty thought. 
and you didn't do anything wrong or untoward. You, you were simply trying to be polite and cordial, but you got distracted. And then you realize that's how it starts. You're having lunch with three of your friends, and one of them starts to grumble. Grumble. In the Bible, grumbling is defined as criticizing God's incompetency. That's grumbling. It's when you criticize God because you think he's incompetent. One of your friends starts to grumble. I don't like the way. And then someone else chimes in. And then someone else. Now it's your turn. What are you going to do? You're going to pile on too? What are you going to do? You feel taken, don't you? If you don't join in, you're going to be labeled kind of, you know, you risk being labeled as kind of goody two-shoes. But if you do join in, you'll be accusing God of incompetency. Hmm. Temptation. Wow. Brothers and sisters, it's the It's real. It's the enticement of an alternate reality over everyday stuff that offers me a crown that will become chains if I'm not paying attention. Hmm. How will we escape this? Well, let's talk about question number two. Because you see, if we now know what temptation is, here's what we learn about God. And Oh, man. Paul says, and here's the word order in verse 13. Paul says, I'll I'll just read it. No temptation has taken you that is not common to people. And And then here's what Paul says. Faithful is God. That's the word order. Faithful is God. Paul wants us to know that amidst the offer of this attractive alternate reality, faithful is God. It's the same word order as in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 when Paul says, Faithful is God by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. We can trust our faithful God, church family. And that is the unchanging spiritual reality which outweighs temptation's fantasy. Though temptation strikes with distraction. Paul wants us to know that you never lose God's attention. He is faithful. He is loyal. He's not hoping for our failure so that he can damn us to hell. He's faithful. And he's not only faithful, church, he's sovereign. And God displays his sovereignty in this text by what he will and will not do. You see it? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So whatever Satan does to offer you, he does beneath, not beyond, nor separate from, nor autonomous of, but beneath the uncontested sovereign power of God. God's sovereignty leashes Satan's schemes. The devil, church, is God's devil. And God will not let means God is in perfect control. Does that not encourage you? Say amen. If you will help me, I won't have to work so hard. (laughs) In our daily Bible reading this week, 
We've been reading through the book of Job. And of all of its mysteries, the one irrefutable truth emerges, and it's this. The absolute, uncontested sovereignty of God. God's sovereign thread appears throughout every part of Job. For instance, in Job chapters 1 and 2, God leashes the accuser. So in chapter 1, God says, you may not touch Job. That's sovereignty. In chapter 2, God says to the accuser, you may not kill Job. Again, that's God's sovereign leash on Satan. And then in chapters 3, all through chapters 37, Job and his friends have an argument, but it's about their understanding of God's sovereignty. And then in Job chapters 38 to 41, 38, 39, 40, and 41, four chapters, Scripture says that out of the storm, the Lord spoke to Job. And it's all about his sovereignty over creation. And then Job 42, God blesses Job, not because Job deserved it, but because God is gracious in his sovereignty, see. And if you're wondering, okay, well, how, what do you mean by sovereignty, pastor? Let's let Job define the term. Job 42.2, here it is. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's the biblical definition of sovereignty. And God has promised that no temptation you face is beyond your ability. He's sovereign. He will not let the temptation be more than you can bear. That's what he will not do. Here's what he will do. God will make an escape so that you can endure. Now, this Think about that for a minute. Why would we need to endure something after God makes an escape? Isn't the point of an escape so that we don't have to endure it? Yet God's escape is for our endurance. What, what is it? Here it is. Faithful is our God who makes a way out for us to overcome sin by enduring the trial. Faithful is our God who helps us escape sin in the situation when we cannot be taken out of the situation. There it is. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. He's about to be executed. Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord, so, so I was rescued from the lion. In other words, the, the rescue was the rescue of cowardice. Before one's enemies. 
And Paul fearlessly proclaimed the gospel, which was his commission, in the face of lethal opposition. And as a faithful messenger, he proclaimed and heralded the word to the powers of Rome and escaped the temptation and test of cowardice. And then Paul says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm not saying that God can't remove you from the jaws of a tempting situation. Yet God's escape is almost always a promise to trust his word over the promise of sin. Temptations are, are promises. So, so, for instance, the temptation to grumble is the form of the promise that if you could only be your own God and have your own way, you'd be happy. Well, the way of escape is by trusting a better promise, such as in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The way of escape is by trusting the promises of God, for it is God who works in you, Philippians 2.13, to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And then Paul says right after that, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. You see? The, the way to overcome the sin of the promise of grumbling is by is by buying into a better promise, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, when temptation strikes, look for the promises of God. Temptation may come through the back door, but God promises to bang on the front door. And it's a promise that he's saying, let me in your life so that you can overcome the battle you're facing. God wants you to trust his promises over Satan's perceptions. And I think that's the hardest part about fighting temptation is that we, we don't feel like we need to escape in the moment. We can handle it. We'll, we'll just play with it for just a little while and put it back in the box and move on. Don't be misled. Fighting temptation is about trusting promises over perceptions. It's about deciding to trust the truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Christ's truth is our escape. That's who God is and that's what he can do. Now, what's... What's he want us to do? Well, it's in that first verse there. Verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, take heed. Take heed. What's that mean? Well, the word heed means to see. To have the faculty of sight. To see something for what it is. And that's the Corinthian problem, remember? Remember why Paul's even bringing this discussion up? The Corinthians, here they're a church community, and uh, some Corinthians think they can just kind of sashay into a Corinthian temple where the restaurants were. They had restaurants in pagan temples in first century Corinth. And there'd be a little sacrifice to a an idol and 
Oh, it's not that big of a deal, but the meat is just delicious. And Paul says, you're not seeing it for what it is. You, you think you can just waltz right into the temple of Octavia on Main Street, Corinth, and order a side of beef and think it's morally neutral. And where we're talking about a temple where unspeakable activities take place on full bellies. Paul says, really? Really? Open your eyes. Take heed. See it for what it is. Take heed and then flee. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee flee because of who you are in Christ. Flee to the truth. Flee to God's offer of escape. Flee with your identity in Christ. You fight temptation with identity. And now you understand why Paul wrote what he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. It all all folds together here as Paul demonstrates the identity of an Olympian. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Temptation is relentless. Temptation preys on exhausted, pandemic fatigued people. And the battle against it must be more than the do's and the don'ts in the moment. Overcoming, listen to me. Overcoming temptation takes more than trying. It takes training. And that's why Paul says, I I beat my body and keep it under control. And so we read our Bibles daily and we pray daily and we serve selflessly and we worship weekly in community and we connect with brothers and sisters in Christ and we learn the tactics of temptation and understand its seduction and shame and exhaustion so that when, not if, but when the evil one strikes, we're ready. And when we break training, we give the evil one an opportunity to break us. Listen. It is too late to prepare for temptation in the moment of your temptation. Start now. And you start now by preaching the word of God to yourself. Such as Psalm 16, 11. Preach this, preach this word to yourself all week. You know what? I think I preach better on Sunday when we have preached to ourselves Monday through Saturday. Psalm 16, 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you... See, you preach that to yourself. See, temptation offers the alternate reality that sin is better than being in God's presence. You know what? God is the strongest pleasure you can ever feel. 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 God is the strongest pleasure you can ever feel. Joy in his company is the deepest, fullest emotion you can ever experience. And temptation wants you to think otherwise. And God's word says, really? Paul says, really? See for yourself what it is and flee to him for who he is. 
And when we fall, and we will, your accuser will interrogate you. How can you say that you love God? How can you even think about going back to that church with your record? Why do you think you should stand up and preach to these people? You keep coaching and preaching to yourself as a trained athlete for Christ. Here's why. Because according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. That's why. And then you say, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20. And then you say with Colossians chapter 2 verse 14, my sin has been canceled on the cross. And then you say with Romans chapter 6 verse 14, sin no longer rules over me. And you say with Romans 8, 1, in Christ there is now, now, now no condemnation. And then you say with 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God has empowered me with all I need for a life of godliness in him. And then you say with Romans chapter 10, verse 11, therefore everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You see what I'm saying? We, we wage war against temptations, fantasies by the truth of God's realities. Church family, read the Bible the way Jesus read it, not how Satan preaches it. For in Christ, you've already been indicted, judged, executed, and resurrected. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. An executed corpse can't be punished anymore. It's over. And likewise in Christ Jesus, in the cross of Christ, you've already been to hell. And you've already been buried beneath the judgment of God. And you've been turned over to the devil and you are gone. But now you've been raised with Christ. You are free. You're free. And knowing that truth doesn't lead you to yield to temptation. It leads you to flee it. You're not hiding from God anymore. Jesus overcame temptation because he consistently believed God's word about him. You're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You're my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. Even, even when Jesus walked in the wild places... Well, we're in Christ, are we not? So by grace through faith, what's true of Jesus is true of us. And the gospel just continually reminds us that the Christ life is being lived out through us by the Spirit. And that therefore, we are the beloved of God. God will make an escape. Look for it. Take it. And thank him for it. And, and thank him not just for the many times unbeknownst to you that he guarded you from temptation altogether, but also for the times that he answered your prayers differently, not just keeping you from temptation, but keeping you through temptation. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church said,